After Yaakov Avinu passes away, Yosef has to convince Paroi to allow him to take his father's body for burial in Eretz Yisrael. So he has to make a really compelling argument. And we'll see that Rashi picks one word in that argument to show just how strong and compelling it is by giving three possible interpretations of that one word. What's the word in Pasuk? The Pasuk that says, My father made me take an oath. This is Yosef speaking to Paroi, saying... That you should bury me in the grave that I, Korisi, that's the word we're going to analyze, prepared, possibly, bought, possibly, in Eretz Yisrael. That's where I have to be buried. Rashi quotes the following three words, and we're emphasizing that it's three words he uses in his headline. Hasher, Korisi, Li. And of Dry gives three possible interpretations. Out of the first is the simple interpretation, which is Gegroben, that Yaakov literally dug himself a grave before coming to Mitzrayim. Then he says, Then Rashi says there's a Midrashic interpretation that actually fits with the language of the Pasuk. And that is that it means that he bought a piece of land to use or bought a grave spot. And he says, Rashi illustrates that it is like the expression to buy something. And then Gimel Vaid Midrashi, then he brings a third Medrash, or third interpretation, which is also a Medrash, which is Lashen Kiri Dogrash, and after Yaakov Kol Kesev Azov Chulei, that it's like a pile, almost like a, 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 <clears throat> a gathering of various assets. And Rashi goes on to say that what Yaakov did is he collected all of his wealth that he, he had accumulated when working for Lavan and presented it all to Esav to buy his rights to Maris Machpela. He made it into a pile. And he said to Esav, you take the money and I'll take the piece of land. Okay, so why does Rashi need three interpretations we'll have to analyze? Why it presents him in this order, that is easy for us to understand. Why Rashi would offer these three explanations in the order which he does makes sense. It's moving Bepashtus. Because Freer brings that the Empirish Kipshote. Obviously, he's first going to give the explanation which is closest to the simple understanding of the Pasuk. Karisi tends to mean digging. Then Then Rashi will include a medrash that is close to the language of the Pasuk. means I bought this property for myself. And then if he still needs another interpretation, then he'll bring a medrash that doesn't fit the wording so neatly. Because it is a little bit outside of the space of the pshat of a pasuk to say that the word korisi comes to the word pile. That's not common at all. By the way, if you pay attention to Rashi, Rashi says, And there's also a further Midrash, which almost sounds as if Rashi is saying that the two Midrashim are linked to each other. So if we go with that perspective, it's then, Then the second Midrash is actually helping us to better understand the presentation of the first Midrash. Which was the second interpretation Rashi had quoted that Korisi means I bought. Then it would make sense that the second Medrash, i.e., the third interpretation that Rashi brings, is to illustrate why the Torah, if it's talking about an acquisition, doesn't use a word that is usually reserved for acquisition. Konisi, Lokachti, etc. So the second medrash, i.e. the third interpretation Rashi explains, which is, Kri has another meaning besides acquisition. Because the medrash wants to allude to the fact that the type of acquisition that happened over here included a pile of assets that Yaakov collected all of his wealth from Lavan and gave it to Esav. 
Okay, so good. We get the order of how Rashi presents the three interpretations. Big question is, why do we need more than one interpretation? For a start, and we'll see that there's two other key questions as well. So we have to understand, why is Rashi dissatisfied with just saying, Karisi, in the literal sense, means to dig? That's the meaning of this Pasuk. What compels Rashi to want to quote a Medrash, which is not necessarily so close to the Pshat? Who needs it? And if we're going to go with the view that the two Midrashim Rashi quotes are actually not linked to each other, then that means that Rashi gives us a Pshat and says, well, that's actually not good enough. Let's bring a Midrash, but at least a Midrash that is close to the language of the Pasuk. But then apparently that's not good enough. And therefore we bring Nora Brengt Adritin Pirish to the Midrash. And then he's going to bring a third interpretation, which is actually quite far removed from the simple understanding. And why is it far from the simple understanding? Because it's difficult to say the word karisi really relates to the word kri. That's an outlier interpretation. So besides the fact that we have to wonder why Rashi brings three interpretations, we also have to understand <coughs> why is Rashi bringing a medrash to explain a word that actually appears in the Torah in the same context as the medrash. Surely it's better to quote a pasuk. Why is Rashi saying that the interpretation of Karisi means to acquire based on a Medrash? There are psukim, where words coming from that root, if you want, which is the word of acquisition, is used in a Pasuk. Yeah, for example, in Parashas Dvorim, where Moshe is negotiating passage to be able to get there at Israel, and he says, We're going to buy water from you. There's the word Tichru from the word Kri. And Rashi says there in that Pasuk that Tichru is a language of transaction. So why is it not good enough for Rashi over here? And if you want to look a little further afield, there's a pasuk in Hoshea that says that I'll buy something for myself with 15 pieces of silver. There also the word says Rashi is a language of business, of trade. Who needs a medrash when Rashi could have quoted Psukim to prove his point that means that I bought. But you know what's even more surprising? Go look at those Psukim and what Rashi says. And you'll see he references back to Arapasuk. Both of those places, Rashi translates the word as meaning transaction without quoting a Medrash. In other words, he, he implies that it's the simple translation. And to prove that it means transaction, he quotes Arapasuk. Now, in our Pasuk, he's calling it a Medrash, yet in the other Pasukim, he's using our Pasuk to explain that's the Pshat, that Karisi means to buy. How does that work? And <clears throat> the last question is, who needs Pasukim or Midrashim at all? If a word is known to mean something, as we shall see, Rashi uses in other environments, surely that's good enough. Gimel. Let's assume for whatever reason it is the Pasuk over there in Tavorim, the Pasuk in Hosea is not strong enough proof that Karisi means to acquire. But we also see that Rashi quotes Rabbi Akiva saying, when I went down to the, the, sea, the seaside areas or towns, I saw that they call transactions Kira. Well, if that's how people talk, then it's not a medrash. Then it's simple pshat. 
Look how Rashi uses the same logic that if this is the way people speak, then it's the pshat of a pasuk. Where does he? Where do we see that? We see in Parshas Vayishlach where it says that Yaakov purchased the land for a hundred kesita. How much is that? Something very similar. He quotes Rebbe Kiva saying, when I went to the seaside towns, I heard that they called a ma'a So what's Rashi doing? He's using the, using the normal language of people to prove the meaning of a word. Without a medrash, without a pasuk. And a zoknitas appears just like midrashi. And he doesn't say that this is an interpretation. It's pshat. Here's another example when it comes to Tefillin. Rashi is going to do a similar thing. Rashi quotes from the Pasuk, the word Tetophos, the, the uh, compartments of the head Tefillin. And he says, He quotes two different languages, the, the Katfi language and the African language, that Tat and, and, and Pas both mean doubled. And again, he doesn't say it's a Medrash or quote a source that's the way people talk. It's good enough for Rashi and Pshat. That gives us precedent that if there is language used by ordinary people, and it happens that in many of those cases, those people are from seaside towns, or it's in a particular language of a particular nation, Rashi has shown us that would be good enough to tell us what the Pshat of a word is. Why here is Rashi saying it's a medrash? It's not a medrash, it's the way people speak. So those are the three primary questions about Rashi, and we're going to have five questions about the language that Rashi uses, as we often do. We pay very close attention to the details of Rashi's language. Five things we need to understand about Rashi's choice of language. First of all, let's start with the heading. Li. He quotes in his headline, Asher Korisi Li. Now, really, Rashi is explaining the meaning of the word Korisi. Why does he include in his headline Asher and Li? Because usually Rashi doesn't include words in the headline unless he's interpreting them. It seems that Rashi is only explaining the meaning of the word Korisi. Question two, base. To explain that the pshat of, of Korisi means to dig, he quotes the Pasuk that says, If a person should dig up a whole Pashas Mishpatim about the liability that a person has when you create a, a hole, a hazard in a public space. Isn't it moving? Also, there it doesn't seem to make sense. Why does Rashi bring a later Pasuk in Mishpatim when he could have brought a Pasuk from Pasha's Toldois? Where it speaks about Yitzchak's servants digging a well and it uses the word Yichru. Surely Rashi prefers always to use the first reference he can get in the Torah. Second question is, If Rashi is going to quote the Pasuk from Mishpatim, who needs the word Ish that is included in that Pasuk? It might be relevant, or it is relevant, obviously, in that Pasuk. Why is it relevant here? It doesn't make it a clearer proof that Yichre means to dig. So, actually, when you think about it, either way you look at this, it's illogical. If Rashi wants us to be clear about which Pasuk he's referring to, the Pasuk of Mishpatim, isn't it the word ish? He doesn't have to use the word ish. Because this expression, ki yichre, only appears once in the Torah, and there it is in Pashas Mishpatim. Ish is not going to help us identify which Pasuk it is. And if the reason he is quoting the word ish is because there, in that context, the word, uh, the word ish somehow helps us to understand that digging is represented by the word yichre, 
It's not possible to say that if you have to bring the word Borish, surely the logic would have been then to say the next word too. Ki Yichre Ish, Bor. Oh, that will tell me it's a Bor, it's a pit. Now I'll know that the word Yichre means digging. Question three, Gimel. When it gets to the second explanation, Rashi says, is the same as that I acquired. There too, it seems to be illogical either way you look at it. If all Rashi wants to do is give us a meaning of the word Korisi, he could have just said, like the word Kanisi, I acquired. Ondem word Asher. Without the word Asher, which doesn't seem to add any value to our understanding of the word. And if it's because Rashi wants to match his expression with the words of the Pasuk, Asher Kanisi Li, then Rashi should have matched it up completely and said, Asher Kanisi Li could be synonymous with Asher Konisi Li. So either you leave out the word Asher or you include the word Li. doesn't seem to make sense. There's actually going to be quite an important insight into what Rashi is telling us. Dale, next question. How come the proof that Rashi brings that the word Karisi could mean that I acquired from the fact that Rabbi Akiva says when I visited the seaside towns, that's how they spoke and used the expression of acquisition. Why doesn't he bring psukim? On it from Beferish of psukim, can I see five of Kushi base? We've already listed some of those psukim. Why doesn't Rashi bring those psukim? Like in the first period, he brought a pasuk. Then in the second period, he should also, also bring psukim. And lastly, hey, I feel a vermes of the finna tamas, the psukim, and fundi psukim is nikinaya. On the river Muzrashi, uncommon to derive from the Vichazal. Let's say that there's a clear reason why the psukim would not give us the information that we need in order to interpret the word karisi. And we need a, an expression from Chazal, which is Rabbi Akiva saying what he learned when he went to the seaside towns. Still, we don't have to know where Rabbi Akiva learned this information. That Rabbi Akiva tells us when I went to the seaside areas, that's where they used this expression. Why doesn't he keep it simple? Why doesn't Rashi keep it succinct as he usually does and say, that Karisi means, like the word Karisi, because Kira is a word related to acquisition. You want to know more? Here's the reference. The Gemara Shana, go look it up. But as Rashi often does, why doesn't he do something like that? And so the answer has to lie in reinterpreting what Rashi needs to explain about this passage. We think he's just explaining simply the meaning of the word. Actually, there's something much more important happening over here. Remember, it's Yosef trying to convince Paroi that he should release Yaakov for burial in Eretz Yisrael. The Bir says the explanation is this. Rashi is a neat not some for and word Korisi. Rashi's objective over here is not to translate a word that we may not know. Korisi. Rather, Rashi is interpreting why Yosef, in his argument to Paroi, had to use this phrase. Asher Korisi. My father had made me take an oath that I should bury him in the place. Asher Korisi. Lecha'ira. Surely, Yosef has made his point when he tells Paroi, my father made me swear that I take him to the place that he has allocated as his burial spot. And that's in Eretz Canaan. Think about this. When the Pasuk says, my 
burial spot. That is obviously reason enough why Yaakov would want to be buried there. That's the place he reserved to be buried. Surely that's a compelling enough argument to Paroi. Muslim Zogen, therefore we must conclude from the fact that, ya- that Yosef didn't stop there. By adding the fact that Yaakov Karisi, whether that meant dug or bought the land, it's because Yosef wants to highlight a special relationship between that particular spot and Yaakov Avinu. Which makes it really important in Yaakov's eyes, and obviously by extension in Yosef's eyes. And that's why Yaakov insisted, I have to be buried there, make sure that I'm buried there. In other words, both Yaakov and subsequently Yosef knew that Paro would want Yaakov to remain in Mitzrayim because he brought Brocha to the land. He wouldn't want to relinquish Yaakov's Brocha from Egypt. And that's why Yaakov was not satisfied that Yosef gave him his word, I'll do what you ask. And then he insisted on an oath, as the Mephoshim point out, because then he could weigh his oath against the oath that he had made to Paro. So if Paro would give him a difficult time, he'll say, well, if I should... Uh, relinquish the oath to my father, I could relinquish our secret where I promised that I wouldn't let people know that you don't know the holy tongue. And that's why the, the wedge that, or, <coughs> that, that Yosef used to convince Pirate to let them go, to let him take Yaakov to bury him, is because of the oath Besides anything else, that highlights how important it is to Yaakov. Look, he made me swear to do this. So if Yosef's entire approach is to show Paroi how important this issue is for his father, therefore, he's going to give an argument to support his choice. And that's going to be an argument that Paroi would relate to. Why it is so critical for him, so personal to him, that Yaakov should be buried in Eretz Yisrael. And if then bring Rashi, then Mersh, and Pirish, so therefore Rashi has to now find explanations for what in this phrase shows us why this is so personal and important to Yaakov and subsequently to Yosef. So the first he gives us, Pasha, the simplest explanation would be as Korisi Menki Groben, that the word Korisi would mean he dug the grave himself. So now logically, if Yaakov invested that kind of effort to dig a grave for himself personally, there's no question about it. It's obviously a strong argument to say this is really important to Yaakov. And Yosef says to Paro, you have to respect that. That would explain why in proving this point, Rashi is going to use the Pasuk from Pasha's Mishpatim, Ki Yichre, when a person digs a pit. Including the word Ish. Why is the word Ish so important? The fact that that Pasuk says the person himself digs the pit. And doesn't just leave it generically. A person dug a pit is mashma as kiichres as achvas a mensch legten and arain spezial tirchav ishtadlus fun a ish evaksen a mensch. That's highlighting that the story we're telling is the story of a, an adult, a person who invests personal effort in digging this particular thing. There, it's a pit. Here, it's a grave. 
is that for Muvanach meaning they done as he has the Karisis given from Bunim meet the Tircham Yechedus from Yaakov, and that would link into our story over here. Yaakov dug the well, the the, the pit himself, the the grave himself. Ruftus Mamelaris, I can feel from Grace Chashivas. That has to illustrate that there's tremendous importance to this grave in Yaakov's life. But Rashi can't leave it at the Pshat level because it's got its own issues. Some of them are really logical issues. First of all, let's look at the content of what Rashi is conveying. Where Yaakov would be buried is in Eretz Yisrael. On Yaakov, Yaakov, as we know, lived his last 17 years in Mitzrayim. So now you're arguing, according to the Pshat, that Yaakov dug his grave more than 17 years before his passing. Something that does not sound very logical, especially when you consider that we know that there's precedent with the obvious that you start thinking about end-of-life issues around five years of the range of when a person's parents passed away. Yaakov is long before that at this point. Why would he have started so long in advance to dig a grave? For himself. And then, of course, why would he dig it himself? Base. Why would Yaakov have done it and not hired his slaves to dig the, the, the grave for him? You know, you could argue that maybe you could interpret the word Karisi to mean that he actually used his slaves. But on the face of it, it sounds like he dug it himself, especially if that's Yosef's argument to Paroi. Why would he have not outsourced it to people who are hired to do that kind of menial labor? And then lastly, given in Lashayna Kosov, the language that the Torah uses, that Empiris is the word Ali Lechaira Iberik, if the whole message over here is to tell us that what's so important is the fact that Yaakov dug the well, then the key word is Karisi, not the word Li, that I dug it for myself, which by the way would explain why Rashi includes the word Li in his heading. Right? All the Torah had to say is, I dug the well, the, the, not the well, I dug the grave. And we'd know that he dug it for himself. So because the Pshat has some difficulties, that's why Rashi has to bring another alternative explanation that might not be so close to Pshat, but at least would resolve these issues. Which is the Medrash that it means I purchased this piece of land for a, a burial plot. And then quoting Rebbe Kiva who says that this is the meaning of the word Korisi. Yes, this is a medrash. It's not pshat. It's a but it does fit well with the language. So it's a medrash which is close to pshat, because hey, in the touch from word korisi, it satisfied the interpretation of the word korisi. Hey, in the noitekite from word li, and it helps us understand why the word li is there because I bought it for me. And those. And the reason that Rashi calls us a medrash is because of its message, not because of its distance from the Pshat of the Pasuk. And we'll speak about that more in a moment. And of course, relevant to our storyline, this highlights why the particular burial plot is so important to Yaakov. As Konisi, because I invested, I paid for it. It's not something that I inherited, which didn't require any work on my part. Or something that was passed down through the generations. It's something I paid for. As we know that when Yaakov, sorry, when Avram Avinu bought the, the Maras Machpelah, we can obviously extend the same logic to Yaakov. It's Bekesef Molei. He paid the, the highest price 
So by saying that I bought this burial plot, it's quite convincing to Pari. This is very important to me. I invested in it. Let's understand it a little bit better. Because when you think about it, what Rabbi Akiva tells us in this interpretation about the meaning of the word karithi actually seems to undermine what, what Rashi is trying to tell us. What was the proof that Rashi quoted in order to say that the word karisi means I bought? He quotes Rabbi Kiva in Rosh Hashanah that says, When I went to the seaside towns, they spoke about sales and they called it kira. Now, doesn't that actually undermine what Rashi is trying to prove here? Rashi wants to explain here that the word Korisi means I purchased. Rashi is quoting Rabbi Akiva who says that where he encountered these people at the, at the seaside and they used the expression Kira, they meant it as selling. Selling and buying are the opposites. So how does Rashi quote Mechira to prove Kenia? So the beer in them, what he's trying to tell us is this. By quoting Rabbi Akiva, who says that in the coastal towns they call Mechira Kira, Rashi wants to draw our attention to the fact that Korisi doesn't just mean I take something. There are various ways that I could take something. You gave it to me as a gift, I take it. It was Hefker, I take it. But rather it means It means a transaction that has two sides to it. One person relinquishes money so that the other person will relinquish an asset. Yaakov pays so that he'll get a burial plot. On the far and therefore, yes, in Rabbi Akiva's example, the word kira meant sale. But Rashi wants us to know that the meaning of the word karisi could mean either side of the sale. Could mean that I'm the seller. Could mean that I'm the buyer. What's common to the word karisi is one person is giving money so that the other person will give an asset. On the Which will help us further understand why here the Pasuk has to add the word li. Sold to me or bought for me. <laughs> because the word karisi left generically could mean either direction of switching money for assets. So it could be the buyer or the seller. Therefore, after Pasuk as that's why the Pasuk of it has to clarify which side of the sale we're talking about. We're talking from the perspective of the buyer. I acquired it for me. That says, Karisi, I bought it. Whereas Rashi, but that's the Pasuk, Rashi uses the word Karnisi. He's already using the word by. He no longer needs to use the word Li to me. That will also explain why Rashi couldn't quote the Pasuk in Dvarim or Hosea to prove this point. Because in the context of those two quotations, actually the Pasuk would have proven opposite to what Rashi wants to illustrate. In the case of buying water when they would travel through the, the lands of the various neighbors of, of Eretz Israel, it says we would buy with money. Or the Pasuk in Hashem says, 
I will buy by giving 15 pieces of silver. That makes it sound like the other side is just taking without giving anything in return, especially. You're giving him free passage. It's not an asset. It's not something tangible. We need a source that's going to explain to us that the word karisi means I gave something to receive something in return. So that's why Rashi quotes the second explanation, because it deals with questions that were raised in the Pshat. But it raises questions of its own. There's still a question. The first, uh, the question we asked earlier on, Why is it important? All Rashi really wants is to explain that Yosef is telling Paroi that Yaakov needs to be buried in this place because it's his burial plot. How it became his burial plot? What's the difference? So if he says, I bought it, how's that going to convince Paroi further that, yeah, you should really let Yaakov be buried there? Just say it is. So now what you're going to say is because, well, we know that Avram Avinu paid a lot of money, and by extension, probably Yaakov paid a lot of money for his portion in Maris Machpelah. It would be quite a stretch to say Paroi knew that information. And so hearing that he had purchased the piece of land is going to be enough to say, well, it obviously is extremely valuable to him because look how much he paid for it. Base. We still have our original big question, which is, why do you use the word Karisi? which is a word that has to be explained. Which side of the transaction are we standing on? Karisi li. The Torah could have been much clearer, just used an expression like Karisi. I bought it. We wouldn't have needed the word li. We wouldn't have needed all the interpretations we have till here. <coughs> That's what makes Rashi say there's got to be another layer to that word Karisi, and therefore he brings a third interpretation. Therefore, Rashi tells us, not only should you know that the word kira could mean transaction, but know where it's coming from. It's coming from the coastal cities. Why coastal cities? Because these are not little villages, fishing villages. These are coastal cities which are built on trade. The reason they're cities is because there's obviously movement across the ocean. And that's bringing in a lot of trade into those cities. In other words, for the you've got to understand what's going on over there. This is mass transactions, mass uh, trade that's happening. In other words, these are the experts on the language because they're the great traders. That's why Rashi is using this word, well, the Torah is using the word Karisi rather than Karisi. Because by using an expression that is reserved for the great traders, the great business people of the world, Yosef is driving home his point about how important this transaction was to Yaakov and therefore this burial plot is to Yaakov. What he's saying, Yosef is saying is, the way that Yaakov constructed this deal for this burial plot is in the way that you would expect from the biggest business people of the time, the greatest traders of the time. Therefore, he uses the word karisi to link it to the highest, most developed kind of trade, indicating 
how much Yaakov cared for this burial plot. And that's why Rashi has to call it a medrash. This whole principle that because it's language used in the coastal trading cities and therefore it's going to tell us how important the, the transaction is. Which Yosef was then going to use as leverage to get ya- to get Paro to agree that Yaakov should be buried there. None of that is is required based on understanding of Pshat. That's all Medrash. But there's still a problem with this interpretation. The expression is Yes, it's true, as we've pointed out, that Yosef wants to tell Paro that Yaakov made the highest level of acquisition of this burial plot possible. But still, that tells us maybe that Yaakov is business savvy and makes sure that the transactions he makes are dotted I's and crossed T's. It doesn't tell us that he invested tremendous effort in getting this particular piece of land. It could just be that once he made it, he ensured that his transaction was watertight. So therefore, we need something. The fact is, anything which is valuable, you expect that people are going to make sure the transaction is proper. Doesn't yet tell us that Yaakov put extraordinary effort into this. Therefore, Rashi says, and there's another Medrash that's actually going to add insight to the first Medrash, that Karisi is from the language of a pile, that Yaakov amassed all of his wealth from Laban, gave it to Esau to say, I need this portion of Maris this Medrash is adding insight that the fact that the Torah chose to call this particular acquisition Karisi, that is, is neat. No, it's on that Nefashtarka Kenyan Canal. It's not only to tell us that the type of acquisition he made was watertight. Sorry. No, the myth is the Torah Meramas. The Torah wants to add further, or at least allude further than that. Not only did he make sure the transaction was so clear, but as Yaakov Hotfadem Kevra Vegem Zangansa Kesef Zav Shebi Chulei, look at the tremendous amount that he spent on this burial plot. All of the wealth from Lavan. That has to tell us how much, how important, how precious this particular burial plot was to Yaakov. But I feel a pirate to live their maskins and a shamatic brainy. And that's going to convince even somebody as hardened as Paro to say, you know what, he has to be buried there because it obviously was so important in his life. But But we have to acknowledge that this is a medrash. It's certainly not something you would detect in the Pshat of the Pasuk. In fact, not only is it a medrash, it's a medrash that doesn't quite fit within the language of the Pasuk. Like the first medrash which said, there you can see the relationship. To suggest that the word korisi is related to the word kri, a pile is really a stretch from the Pshat. So because we have two Midrashic opinions, and particularly the second one that is really far from the Pshat, therefore the simplest interpretation remains. Karisi is like digging the grave himself. That's the simplest language 
both in terms of the meaning of the word. It's the simplest interpretation of the word. It also speaks directly to the message. And it obviously illustrates for us how precious and important this piece of land was to Yaakov. It was obviously so important to Yaakov that he got his hands dirty and actually dug the grave himself, leave for himself to the demonstrate for this purpose to ensure that he would definitely be buried there. And that's obviously the simplest way to explain it. But all three of the interpretations give us a whole picture of the message Yosef wanted to convey to Paroi, which is my father obviously considered this something of extreme importance and therefore you have to allow me the opportunity, which he succeeded in doing, to bury him in that place.